What's going on out there, everybody? Welcome yet again to Wise Guys Hideaway with your boy, Ian Barr. And today I'm talking one of the most, probably one of the most notable uh, figures in organized crime, Jimmy the Gentberg. Now, you might recognize the Jimmy the Gent from the movie Goodfellas, and that is exactly where it comes from. However, his last name was not Conway, like uh, they portrayed it in the movie with uh, Robert De Niro portraying him. Uh, his last name was Burke. His last name actually originally was Conway, when he was born, he was uh, born July 5th, 1931 in uh, New York, New York, and he was uh, born to a prostitute of a mother, and uh, she didn't know who the father was, and so eventually she just, you know, she does what, you know, any, uh, I'm not going to call her a good mother, but any, anybody who at least half cares, you know, she didn't, you know, stick him in a dumpster, or something fucking out of control like that, she put him on, you know, the, the firehouse steps or the church steps, you know, wherever you you take an orphan to drop him off back in that time, you know what I mean? And uh, he was pretty much just, you know, sent from foster family to foster family. And uh, one of his foster families, actually, uh, most of them, almost all of them were abusive, for starters, uh, both physically, mentally, and, and uh, sexually, actually. But uh, in one case, when I do believe he was either 12 or 13, uh, he was... Um, sort of getting in a kind of a bickering match with his foster father who was driving the car and they were heading down the, the highway and uh, his foster father turned to smack him and because he turned to smack him he ended up crashing the car and uh, he was killed and so you know uh, Jimmy Burke's foster mom at that time always blamed him for the death of her husband and beat him mercilessly until the state finally took him away and he would end up being placed with the Burke family. And uh, they were the first people to really show Jimmy any kind of love or compassion or, I mean, any, any kind of, you know, good or not. I mean, yeah, good, good's the right word, but what, ah, what's the word that I'm looking for when, um, it's when you are given, uh, Ah, fuck it. It's gone. I, I, I don't know. Uh, oh, reinforcement. There we go. Jesus Christ on a cracker. Yeah, but they were the first ones to really give him positive reinforcement, you know, like telling him that, you know, you could be anything he wanted to be and like that, you know, they loved him and, you know, that he was their son no matter where he come from. And uh, this meant a lot to Jimmy and it meant so much to Jimmy actually that he would eventually uh, legally take the last name Burke. And uh, all the way up until he was finally sent away for the rest of his days, I mean, the Burke family did say that he would come visit, you know, once a week, you know, he would, he would leave money to pay the bills. He would do, he would do whatever he could for these people. He really did love the, the Burke family. He really did. Now, the reason we're doing Jimmy Burke today is because today is the day that in 1996 at the age of 64 in Buffalo, New York, um, well, he was serving time in, in the pen for that, you know, fucking rat Henry Hill, uh, that he would die, you know, April 13th, 1996, at uh, 64, Jimmy Burke would pass from uh, from cancer, he would eventually get the cancer, I mean, I mean, that guy smoked like a fucking chimney, you know what I'm talking about, like, I mean, um, his, his final resting place uh, would end up being St. Charles Cemetery in uh, East Farmingdale, New York, and he would leave behind a, a widow by the name of Mickey, Mickey Burke, who was his sweetheart from, you know, a, a very young age, the two fell heavily heavily in love uh almost psychotically in love actually on uh, the night they were to be wet or the night before they were to be wet excuse me jimmy was told by mickey that mickey was having a problem with his ex-boyfriend that she had had a, a real hothead a real he thought he was he thought he was a tough guy and so jimmy goes to see him and he says listen i'm marrying this girl now this is this is done this stops 
And the guy, you know, and not so many words told him to go fuck himself. And uh, you just, I mean, you just didn't say things like that to a guy like Jimmy Berg. Jimmy, uh, the legend that Joe Coffey tells anyway. Joe Coffey, you know, uh, old, old-timey, old you know, New York detective. He's like, he caught him up with a chainsaw. You know, like, he caught him with a chainsaw. Like, I don't know how accurate that is. But he did kill the, the gentleman. That That is 100% fact. Jimmy Berg, you know, takes this prick out. And then, like I said, as uh, Street Lure would have it. Uh, he hacked him up with a chainsaw, disposed of the body, and the next day went and married the love of his life. I mean, isn't that, I mean, ladies, for all the ladies listening out there, isn't that what romance is? And they say chivalry was dead. <laughs> Along with Mickey, he would also leave behind three children, um, two boys who were, <laughs> and, I mean, as any good criminal would want to name their sons, uh, <laughs> Jesse, <clears throat> Jesse and... Oh, what were their names here? Give me one sec, guys. I'm feeling foolish here. Okay, Jesse and James. Yeah, they're like, uh, yeah, the uh, Jesse, Jesse and James. I forget. Ah, uh, the the gunslingers. Oh, man, I'm I'm spacing that, you guys. I'm sorry. I've been remodeling a house for a, a dear family friend of mine these last few days, and uh, kind of kind of out of it. But I mean, we're we're gonna get through this podcast if it kills me, y'all. I promise you. Now, along with Jesse and James, his sons, um, he also had a daughter by the name of Catherine, Catherine Burke, and she would end up marrying uh, a fairly, you know, well-to-do Bonanno family member, uh, Anthony and Delicato. Um, yeah, well, no, and Delico. Yeah, sorry, po- apologies, Anthony and Delico, and uh, the two would uh, the two would remain married for. I mean, I I do believe until they either past or i mean they might still be married depending how old they are I, i've never really kept up on a uh, wise guys kids you know and their wives i've always kind of felt like that i mean except the mob wives because i mean everybody you know you can't look away from a car wreck but i always just kind of felt like if they wanted to you know write a book or do a memoir about you know their father who i mean clearly you would eventually come to find what your father was then that's their place. I'm not gonna hound these people like, hey, hey, was it cool to have a dad that was a that was a gangster that hijacked trucks? Well, hey, 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 was it cool? Like, no, that's that's ridiculous. People who do that are just fucking degenerates, and it's really, really sad. <clears throat> now, Hill or not Hill, Jesus, Burke, uh, Burke didn't go through his organized crime career unscathed. Don't get it twisted. In 1972, uh, him and Henry Hill would be, you know, convicted on extortion, as it shows in Goodfellas uh, when they were collecting money for uh, a Lucchese family capo, Paul Vario, who was uh, called uh, Paul Cicero in the movie and was portrayed by Paul Servino, who did an excellent job. But but the real Paul Vario was was a hundred times, you know, more ruthless, cunning, violent, slobbish. I mean, you name it. You name it. And Paul Vario was uh, was it to uh, to a T when it comes to a ruthless mob captain. But uh, not only on top of the 1972 which he would serve, you know, six out of ten years for. Eventually, he would be, you know, locked up for conspiracy in 1982 when Hill finally dropped the dime about, you know, the the drug deals and, and the murdering of Billy Bass, which we'll get to here in a few minutes, and, and all those things. And then <laughs> and then eventually, he would catch another, uh, another sentencing, you know, another charge, another indictment, while he was already serving... Time for the conspiracy. In 1985, he was eventually uh, convicted of a second-degree murder. And uh, the murder, actually, is the one in Goodfellas where they portray, like... Uh, they make it seem like it was, uh, he, that was he was a fella killed over the Lufthansa heist. 
And uh, they do the whole beautiful scene where they drop into the back of the meat truck and he's hanging on the hook. And uh, Frankie Carbone's the name of the movie. In real life, uh, I, I don't know who the gentleman was. Uh, <clears throat> forgive me for my poor research tonight. Like I said, I'm just exhausted, but I had to get this one out there. But nonetheless, it was a drug dealer from Florida who owed Jimmy money, actually, is uh, is that whole tidbit. And that would eventually end up being the second-degree murder charge that he would, you know, foot the bill for. <clears throat> On top of the 10 years he was given back in 1972, they uh, they ended up giving him a total of 32 years between 1982 and 1985 for his participation and, uh, you know various criminal operations now he was a hundred percent ratted out jimmy burke was actually ratted out a few times in his life <clears throat> we'll start with the obvious one henry hill obviously the, the whole inspiration behind goodfellas would rat him out in, in, in 1982 and i mean essentially get him put up for the rest of his days until he died you know 1996 uh you know at 64 but way earlier in his career when jimmy first because when J- jimmy when jimmy was taken in by the burks they showed him love, they showed him compassion, they showed him, and and he did love them. And he was the best man he could be around them for them when he was with them. But Jimmy had already dedicated his life to the streets, you guys. Like, I mean, let's, let's fucking, let's put that baby to bed right now. That Probably around nine or ten years old, Jimmy Burke decided that he was going to be a criminal for the rest of his life. That's what he was going to do. That's what he enjoyed. Now, he started as, um, you know, any low-level criminal does. You know, you, you shake down cart vendors. You know, you, you break a window for a wise guy for another rival, you know, cab stand or a rival, you know, what have you. But by the time he's 16, Jimmy's a serious uh, a serious guy when it comes to organized crime. Now, it, it's ironic, too, because he's 100% Irish, even though in the movie, like, you know, you got De Niro playing him and they never hint to the fact that he's 100%. But if you look up a picture of the real Jimmy Burke, it looks more like fucking Nick Nolte than it does like Robert De Niro. Don't get me wrong, you know. And I love De Niro's performance in Goodfellas. Goodfellas is definitely my favorite movie. But if we were just picking a guy out of the crowd to fuck, I'd say 80s Nick Nolte. Most definitely looked more like uh, Jimmy Burke than, uh, than Robert De Niro did. However, the portrayal De Niro did was... Absolutely spot on. And I mean, uh, Hill says it was even tamed down a little bit because Jimmy was just that much more aggressive. And he, I mean, he wasn't lying. I mean, Jimmy, Jimmy was hijacking cargo freight, running narcotics and doing hits for mob bosses by the time he was 16. I mean, here's a guy who he's never going to get made, you guys. He's got Irish blood. And I mean, we've gone through it time and time again, and we're going to go through it probably, you know, at least a baker's dozen more times that in order to be, you know, inducted as a fully-fledged member of, of a mob crew, of a family, you have to be 100% Italian, and you, have you, for the most part, would have had to have participated in a murder. Now, there has been some exceptions, especially as he got later into the 80s when guys uh, were making real big numbers for the family, pulling down real big, uh, real big stacks. Uh, you know, guys like Michael Francesi, who uh, I, don't, I don't personally believe, nor have I ever read up about him ever having whacked anybody, but... He was such an immense earner that they kind of just let him slide through. Nonetheless, Jimmy was as close as you could get to a made guy for an Irishman, let me tell you. I mean, he he sifted with guys from almost every family. You know, he he worked with Lucchese people. He'd work with Gambino people. You know, he'd, he'd slide in with the Genovese. You know, anywhere he could make a buck, he would. And one of these, you know, individuals that he come across to, uh, I guess, engage in criminal endeavors with was a, was a fellow by the name of Remo who uh, was the owner and the proprietor of Robert's Lounge. Now, Robert's Lounge was a social club, sort of like a, a wise guy hangout that was just just right on the outskirts of uh, Idlewild, 
Idlewild Airport, which would eventually be renamed JFK Airport and was just a, I mean, you guys, it was a fucking gold mine for the American Mafia during this time period. I mean, one, not only was there, you know, nothing that anybody could do because the mob was controlling everything by the 70s, but, or excuse me, the 50s is what we're talking about, Jimmy, right now, but I mean, the, the movie Goodfellas, they're more in the 70s and that, they really had it on lockdown by then. But nonetheless, there wasn't even fences up, you guys. I mean, you got to think, like, 9-11 hadn't happened. You know, these, some of these crazed terrorist attacks, boom, they never existed. So you got you got fucking airports where you ain't got fences. Guys just driving right on and off the lot. And they would make immense money through through the through the airport. I mean, if they weren't hijacking cargo trucks, you know, furs, TVs, razor blades, shrimp and lobsters, they were pulling off actual just cash robberies. <clears throat> One of which was uh, Henry Hill's uh, claim to fame, the uh, Air France heist, which was when people go over to Paris, you know, France, wherever, and they exchange their money for French money. It gets put in a big old bundle, you know, a bunch of big old bundle bags and it gets sent back here. Now, the Henry Hill and Jimmy Burke devised a plan. They would set up the guard who was on the inside. He was, uh, he was a gambler. He was into Jimmy for, for some coin. And their only problem was getting a key. So what they did was, because the old guard who had the key, he was a straight shooter on everything except he had a, a weak pension for whores, you guys. Pornography and women. That was this guy's, you know, that was his, uh, what is it, kryptonite, if you will. And so they get this old get old geezer a little loaded one night, and they and they pay a prostitute to take him into a hotel room, and they get him on the job. And Hill and Burke swipe the key and make a copy. So, I mean, this guy thinks that, you know, nothing happened. He had a few drinks, and he had a nice nice lovely evening with the lady of the night however jimmy burke and henry hill now have the key to the air france safe and when they would, <laughs> and when they would go to take the money they'd end up you know clearing 450k and henry hill said you know it was beautiful we walked in and out without even using a gun him and tommy de simeone now tommy de simeone was uh jimmy burke's pit bull essentially i mean just just as fucking doberman i mean he you say get him tommy said got him you know what I mean? And Burke was sort of a mentor to both Hill and DeSimone. And, uh, and and all of them worked under the flag of Paul Vario. <clears throat> so, you know, Jimmy was uh, a great mentor when it came to organized crime, too. I mean, uh, Sulin Rab, the author of uh, the book Five Families, uh, described Jimmy Burke as the epitome of a, of a mob mentor. I mean, whether it was narcotics, hijacking trucks, you know, uh, whacking somebody, stocks and bonds, Jimmy had the answers, period. But now back to the Burke's early life, when he teams up with this fellow named Remo, they start uh, running a little check, uh, check cashing scam. Jesus, I need, I need to get some sleep tonight, you guys, I'll tell you what. But nonetheless, they start running this scam, and eventually uh, Burke gets caught up. Now he's facing down the barrel five years unless he gives up his partner, and he takes it. Takes it on blinking, you know, he says, go fuck yourself. He does this five years. Now, this earned him a lot of respect in the eyes of a lot of, you know, rather pivotal figures in the mob at this point, you know, because there was guys in there serving time who knew that Jimmy, you know, wasn't, he wasn't Italian. He wasn't, you know, he could have, he could have sold Remo out to save his own skin and he didn't. Now, that favor would not be returned to Jimmy. However, after he would get out, he would, he would instantly go back to Robert's lounge and he'd start, you know, palling in the schemes with Remo again. And eventually Remo would be caught up in a scam and he would not show Jimmy the same courtesy. He would drop a dime on him almost instantly. And this is one of the few times I've ever heard of a non-Italian, you know, 
individual from organized crime getting the okay from the higher ups to take out. Uh, I do believe Remo was a soldier. He might have just been an associate, so uh, don't don't quote me on that. Like I said, I'm extremely tired and my notes are scattered all over the desk. But I do believe that Remo was, if he wasn't a, a made man, he was definitely like uh, an on his way to becoming a made man type of guy. And normally, normally, you know, some big Irish, you know, mug isn't gonna get the okay. To, but not only did he get the okay, he was even given Robert's Lounge after that point as as his headquarters, like the you know the Lucchese's and the Gambinos, and everybody wanted like to have Jimmy Burke sort of stationed near JFK because they knew that him and his crew that's what they did that's what he was that's what he was known for you know I mean he began jacking seriously in 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 the 50s and then into the 60s and in the early 70s like it just got more and more prevalent now the way he got the nickname uh Jimmy the Gent was because a lot of times when these truck hijackings would go on I mean for the most part the trucks most of the time knew that they were getting you know taken down those who didn't I mean, tough break. And then even sometimes, you know, the wise guys robbing the fucking semi and the semi truck driver, they're related. <clears throat> now, sometimes you run into the guy who didn't know that he, was, that he was getting, you know, taken. So, you know, they're scared. They're nervous. Uh, sometimes they say stupid things. Sometimes they play tough guy. Now, a lot of crews out there, I mean, they'd smack them around. They'd pistol whip them, hit them with bats. You know, they found truck drivers in ditches beat up. They found them you know, tied to chairs and warehouses. They found them dead. They found them. Jimmy wasn't like that. Jimmy come up smooth and, you know, he, he you know, get him out of the truck. You get the guy out of the truck. You walk up. He takes it. He says, you know, let me see your wallet. He takes his, he'd take the wallet and he grabbed the, uh, the truck driver's, you know, license. You know, it's got your name, your address, everything on it, you know, and he say, uh, you might know who we are, but we know who you are. And then he'd either slip a 50 or a hundred there in the, in, in the pocket, you know, and I mean, probably even let him, you know, grab a, if it was like a, let's say a shipment of furs, like, you know, you got a girlfriend. Go ahead and grab a fur coat off the truck. You know, I mean, it, we're the ones stealing it anyway. What the fuck are they going to know, you know? So that's where, I mean, drivers really began to love him. Not only drivers loved him, people who were gambling rooms loved him. I mean, he'd come in and he just started handing out money from the time he touched down. I mean, you want to talk about a big tipper? Jimmy Burke was a big fucking tipper. That's that's all I got to say about that. <clears throat> now, eventually, uh, Paul Vario would have uh, Burke set up in two different spots, really. He'd have a, their, their sort of main headquarters based in South Ozone Park, uh, which is in Queens. And then they had another, you know, set up in Brooklyn over in East New York. Now, the Roberts Lounge that sat, you know, on the outskirts of the JFK airport and <clears throat> was in uh, Ozone Park, Queens, was uh, was sort of the, the mainstay for all these guys. And not only was it the mainstay, it was also a, a fucking graveyard, according to Henry Hill. And I mean, just according to excavations that where they dug out i think it was six or seven bodies that were buried in the bocce court you know what i mean like uh and like in the movie goodfellas when he shoots the the kid spider uh for you know so you go fuck yourself tommy and you know what's the world coming to bang 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 that's what the fucking world's coming to that whole little bit great scene but uh uh that kid was uh was buried in a bocce ball court right right in the back of robert's lounge that's where they're that's where they're supposed to be in, in goodfellas when they're you know, in like in a basement playing cards later in the movie, and you know Tommy kills the you know the kid Spider, and then like where they're playing in the Lufthansa robbery, that's supposed to be like a depiction of Robert's Lounge, which was uh, in Ozone South Ozone Park in Queens, right on the outskirts of JFK. Now, as I said before, in November of 1972, Burke and Hill are arrested, and each given 10 years after they rough up a guy in Tampa who owes Paulie money, but who also happens to have a sister who's a typist for the FBI. That's some shit luck. Now, Burke's given 10 years, and 
he serves his time in Atlanta as the other ones serve their time in Lewisburg. But he only does six, and he manages to get, you know, parole early. And right back to the grind, you guys. I mean, like, right back to the streets. Burke, Burke Hill, and D.C. Mion would meet up at the parole office because uh, Hill and Burke couldn't be around each other because, you know, they were still on parole. And they would do cocaine and heroin deals right there in the parole office. I mean, it was absolutely out of control. Um, I actually should double back real quick because before you know, November of 1972, and they go to prison, and then the, the drugs start for Hill and all that. The, uh, pretty much the, one of the key scenes in Goodfellas, the opening, the middle, and, you know, it loops back in, and a very key factor in the Burt Cruz run of things was the killing of William Billy Bats Benavetta in uh, 1970. <clears throat> now, Billy Bats was a, you know, close, close friend of, uh, future Gambino boss, and, uh, I do believe a capo at that at that period in time. I do believe. I'm not, once again, super tired guys, not 100%. But I do believe he's a captain at that time. If he's not, he's for sure a made man. But nonetheless, uh, Billy Bats is a, is a dear friend of John's. And Billy go, goes away for a while. He, I think he went upstate for, you know, 8 to eight to 10 years. I do believe it was on uh, some sort of uh, drug, drug charges. And uh, while he was gone, uh, Burke had sort of swiped up you know, all sorts of his clients as far as Loan Shark and in bookmaking go. I mean, he, he took up a big chunk of it. And so, I mean, in the movie, they portray the whole Billy Batsmer happening strictly over him calling out time, you know, go get your fucking shine box. You know what I mean? Are oh, you fucking my, like, it, it is and it isn't. Like, the, the, how it goes is they're at a party about two weeks before uh, Billy Bats is actually murdered. And Tom, Tommy DeSimone always dressed to the nine. I mean, like, you could shave by how shiny his shoes were. He wouldn't leave the house unless he had, like, stupendously shine shoes. And he really did use to shine shoes as a kid. Billy sees him, and he starts giving him a little bit of a hard time. Oh, you know, I used to shine my shoes. Oh, you fucking shine box. Tommy doesn't do anything that night. He uh, he just calmly sits down next to Hill and Burke, and he says, I'm going to kill that motherfucker. And then about two weeks later, at Henry Hill's spot in Queens called The Suite, which became sort of just a, a another headquarter for Burke and the, and the gang, uh, Billy Bats is in there, he's getting loaded up, he's partying, and Tommy comes in, and Billy starts it on him again, you know, oh, yeah, fucking shine box, uh, Tommy didn't have a pistol on him, for an odd re- for some odd reason, normally he did, they called him Tommy Two Guns Dismion, you know what I mean, uh, and so, so he tells Hill, keep him here, I'm gonna go home and get a pistol, and so Hill and Bert keep Billy Bats there, they keep him drinking, they keep him talking, and eventually, DeSimone shows back up. Now, unlike unlike in Goodfellas, where they say that it's June 11th or whenever the fuck they say it is, this is actually the dead of winter. And unlike in Goodfellas, Jimmy Burke is probably about 6'2", 6'3", and, you know, all of about 2'10", 220, as is Tommy DeSimone. It's no Joe Pesci and Robert De Niro. These are two big, hawking guys. And Billy Bass was just your average size Joe. So, I mean, the the true... The truth is that Tommy DeSimone literally beat him so hard that the gun f- fell apart and that Jimmy Burke was stomping him so hard that he had dented his shoes. Now, <clears throat> the whole portrayal of going to Tommy's mom's house to get a shovel and a knife and all that is factually accurate. They really did do that. And on the way up to Pennsylvania to bury the body at uh, you know just an undisclosed location, middle of the woods somewhere, uh, Henry Hill begins to you know hear kicking in the trunk. And Hill describes it as Burke and Tommy getting all excited. They get to kill him over again. And so they pull up to the side of the road and they pop the trunk. And I mean, if you've seen Goodfellas, I mean, you've seen the, 
you've seen the reenactment, if you will. But according to Hill, there was a lot more uh, stabs. And uh, in some in some documentaries, he says that, you know, then Jimmy shot him. And then in other ones, he's like, Jimmy didn't actually shoot him. I mean, fucking Henry Hill can never keep his story straight. But nonetheless, he, the, the one thing that seems consistent is, yeah, he fucking stabbed him fucking 30, 40 times. So, I mean, like, I, I mean, I would trust him on that one. And uh, if that wasn't bad enough, eventually the property upstate would end up being sold to build condominiums and the boys would have to go back to dig up the body to take it to a different location, which would be, <clears throat> excuse me, which would be the bocce court in Robert's Lounge. Now, the reason they had to do all this is because uh, they could only dig two feet down. It was wintertime, you guys. You know, like you, they couldn't get very deep. So that, that's why they had to for sure go back and excavator. Fucking six feet, it'll still turn over, let alone two. <clears throat> but the other thing that really put them in the shit is none of them were made made guys. You know, they were all just, you know, knock around wise guys. You know, Burke was well respected and feared as like a motherfucker. Don't get it twisted. But Tommy DiCimione, despite the fact that, you know, he was 100% Italian and like he could have, you know, potentially maybe one day been a member. He was a loose fucking cannon and a psychopath. And then Henry Hill is just a half fucking Irish, half Italian scumbag. So, I mean, there's no way this murder would have got cleared by the commission. You know what I mean? But, like, <clears throat> they pulled it off. I mean, well, they kind of pulled it off. Now, Jimmy Burke's real claim to fame, though, has to be what is still today, I do believe, the biggest cash robbery in American history. The Lufthansa heist. Now, I don't even have to stress how much money that, like, these these fellas got. It was December 11th, oh, I want to say 1979, 19, 1980? 1979 or 1980. Once again, guys, I'm sorry. My, my episode tomorrow will be much better. I'm just super tired, and I'm trying to plow through this for you guys. <clears throat> now, Berg would get a tip from Hill, from, uh, an, you know, a gambling associate, and on December 11th, 1979 or 1980, once again, not 100%, just drawing a blank right now, Burke set up uh, you know, a 10-man team to go to the, the cargo hold in the Lufthansa you know, terminal at JFK, JFK Airport, tie all the workers up, put them in the break room, and assembly line $6 million in cash and roughly $2 million in jewels, all in big bags, down a hallway from the, from the vault, to a panel van, and then, boom, gone. Never seen like a shadow in the dark. The whole endeavor took about a half hour. That's how much fucking money there was. Now, almost instantly, people started fucking up. And a fun fact to know about all this, well, well, well Burke is, you know, trafficking heroin and cocaine and planning the Lufthansa robbery and sending his crew to pull off the Lufthansa robbery. He's actually staying in a halfway house. He used to get out during the day like he had uh, to go job searching or like he uh, had a had a job. I don't know for any of you out there who've been in a halfway house. I personally have myself. You you can scheme your way in and out of there. You know what I mean? You can be like, oh, I'm going to look for work. And you really just be going to Robert's Lounge and hang out with all his gangster pals. But uh, almost instantly, people start fucking up. Uh, <clears throat> an individual by the name of Stax, portrayed by Samuel L. Jackson in the movie Goodfellas, was, the, was supposed to get rid of the panel van. He was supposed to drive it up to a dump in Jersey where they were going to crush it. Goes to his girlfriend's, shoots up, gets good and twisted. Cops find the panel van. They pull, you know, prints off the steering wheel. Stax is the first one to go. But almost instantaneously, because everybody in the whole fucking city knew who did the job. Everybody. I mean, from every documentary I've ever seen, any shred of anything I ever read, like all five of the families knew who did it. All the other crews, you know, who worked JFK know who did it. The feds knew who did it. Everybody knew who fucking did it. It was no secret. 
And so Bert, you know, he gives his guys a little bit of money and he says, don't buy nothing stupid. Don't get crazy. And overnight, you guys, guys showing up with new Cadillacs, their wives got minks, their wives got. So Jimmy Burke would, with the blessing of Paul Vario, embark on one of the most savage, savage cleansings of a crew that I've ever seen. I think it was like a, I don't know, a, a six to eight week stretch where like, you know, nine, ten bodies just started showing up, you know, all Burke's henchmen, all people related to the robbery. Uh, there was a... Ed Marshall was uh, giving an interview one time and he was saying how they called an individual in and they told him how they had heard over a wiretap that Burke was going to have him killed. The guy sat there listening and said, okay, can I go now? And he walked out and two weeks later, the, his torso and the torso of his girlfriend washed up on shore at uh, uh, Rockaway Beach, I think. <clears throat> it's crazy. I mean, it was just absolutely insane. And on top of this, Henry Hill is just getting wigged out on drugs and, you know, Jimmy's just getting more and more paranoid and more and more just kind of loose hinged. And that would really come to a head when uh, Hill and Burke would be sent to Florida to take care of a miscellaneous problem that just turned out to be a ploy. And while they were gone, uh, Paul Vario set up the murder of Tommy DeSimeone for the murders of uh, William Billy Batts Benavita. And then another individual by the name of uh, uh, Foxy. His, uh, his real name was uh, Jerome. I, I'm drawing a blank on the last one for some reason. And I'm sorry, guys. But his nickname was Foxy. And he was another. He was like the protege to John Gotti. Tommy's dating his sister. Smacks her around one night. Foxy says, don't date my fucking sister no more. Tommy goes to his house. Knocks on the door. When he answers it, puts two bullets in his head and leaves him dead on the front stoop. I mean, Tommy was a, was a sick pup. And they finally decided he had to be put down. John Gotti got in touch with another uh, ruthless Gambino soldier by the name of Tommy Argo, and he's allegedly who did the hit. Now, that was the only time that Hill said he ever seen Burke uh, shed a tear. Uh, he said he was just so furious, he hung up the phone and hopped the next plane back to New York. In the movie Goodfellas, it portrays like they're at a diner, you know, somewhere in Brooklyn when they get the news. That ain't how it went down at all. They knew they had to get Jimmy out of, you know, out of the city in order to make it happen. <clears throat> now, as all this unfolds, and as the movie Goodfellas will show you, Eventually, Henry Hill gets popped for, you know, drug distribution. He's all strung out on drugs. He fucking has money all over the streets. He doesn't know who owes him what. He's just genuinely spiraling out of control. Now, he makes bail, but he gets the sense that, you know, Paul Vario might not really want him around anymore. And if he thinks Paulie didn't want him around anymore, Jimmy really has to make sure he's not around anymore. Because if Paulie knew that Jimmy was influencing, encouraging, and even funding the drug sales you know, to Henry and, you know, through Henry, I mean, he would, he would kill Jimmy before he'd kill Hill. You know what I mean? So, so they both wanted him dead and Hill, Hill did the only thing he knew how to do. He fucking, you know, gnawed his way out like the skeevy little fucking rat that he is. And I mean, you can't, I mean, you got to hate him, but you can't really blame him. Like if you even half researched, you know, half the people in Goodfellas, like you would realize that like these, 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 they've, they're not, they might be good fellas, but they ain't nice fellas. You know what I mean? They'll fucking, they'll put your kids in a fucking old refrigerator and they'll fucking cut your wife up and wait for you to get there and put two bullets through your eyeballs and let your kids suffocate in the fridge. I mean, <clears throat> some of these guys had really, really ruthless, you know, morals and values. And, uh, and, uh, Burke was one of them. I mean, nonetheless, he's one of the most in, like infatuating gangsters to me just because of how, how close to the chess he played it. Cause I, I do believe that they always knew that he was there for the Billy Bats murder, but they figured, okay, if we can get Tommy, then Jimmy can walk. It's like, I feel like somebody was always negotiating for Jimmy cause he was just such a big earner. 
And he never minded getting his hands dirty. <clears throat> well, Bert finally died on April 13th, 1996. And that's why I decided that we were going to do Jimmy Burke today, just to sort of, you know, commemorate the, the long, arduous, ruthless life of a ruthless son of a bitch. I mean, his legacy will live on for, I mean, eternity. He's, he's depicted in film by one of the best actors of his times. And I mean, the, the movie itself is one of the best movies ever made. It is the best movie ever made, if you ask me. But to, you know, to a biased opinion, if you will, it's still definitely in the top 100. Well, from all of us here at Wise Guys Hideaway, I'm sorry that I was so fucking out of it and tired and just kind of sounding groggy. But like I said, this uh, this remodel just got me, poof, I'll tell you. But I appreciate you all stopping by and giving me a listen. I love you. Stay inside. Hug the ones you love. Stay safe. I'm out of here.